Well, good morning again. I have, a, I have more real estate to set things on. This is great. We should have a baptism every Sunday just for that reason. Um, we come this morning out. Before I begin, I want to say uh, a brief word of thanks again uh, and invite you to do the same. To uh, our staff and our volunteers, we, we survived Holy Week. And, and on the church side, if you work in a church where they're volunteer paid, you'll understand why I use the terminology to say we survived Holy Week. <laughs> it's like saying we survived Christmas. Um, but uh, when you get a chance, sometime this week, maybe right after service, maybe sometime later on, whether it's a band member or a volunteer or a staff member, just thank them for their service the last season in the life of the church. Uh, Holy Week, on top of a pastoral transition, is, is a lot. So just thank them for what they've done. Show them your appreciation. I know they would th- be gra- grateful for it. So we come this week, and it's the first week of our new sermon series, a family playlist. I've been asking you to, uh, to submit songs through all the church media, your favorite songs, both secular and religious, both uh, normal, as my family says, what you listen to on the radio and what we sing in church, or vice versa. And we had about uh, 30 or 40 people submit. We had 120 plus songs. And I want to say this, if you haven't submitted yet, you can still do it. It's not over. From this point, we're moving on to actual themes in each week. Next week, we'll be talking about sappy love songs. So uh, if you have a burning, passionate, sappy love song that's a tearjerker or that you want played at your or your child or your grandchild's wedding, go ahead and find our our church media accounts and submit that there. Uh, We would love to include that, maybe. I say maybe because 120 songs is a lot to try to hit on in in sermons over four weeks. (laughs) But we'd like to try to include that. If not, it's always great as we make a big family playlist at the end of this for all of us to see the songs we've submitted. Um, I will say this, at the end of our, the week after each sermon, we'll be compiling a small playlist of the songs I used in the sermon that week, and you'll be able to go and listen to those if your heart so desires. As I've said before, and I will reiterate again, try to keep your submissions clean. There are always a few songs with maybe some less than uh, appropriate language. So parents, use caution if you're just going to play some of those songs at home um, because these are songs literally just submitted by the public, even though that public is part of your church. (laughs) It's like we live in the real world. Um, We are, exactly. Amen to that. So as most of you know, we're moving down. We actually just closed on a house two weeks ago. I'm living there. I'm roughing it kind of with an air mattress and a TV and an Xbox and some snacks. All the things every college guy thought would get them through life. And the college minister laughed at that one. And as, as I do, we, we've been going back and forth bringing more stuff in. And, and slowly I made the point where I had to transition and actually begin forwarding my mail to the new house the other week. And I went to the mailbox. It's one of those community mailboxes. I walked down the block to it. And as I got there, I pulled out of our mailbox a bunch of random junk mail and an AARP magazine. I'm not... Thank you. Thank you. I'm not that old. So we... It's actually four AARP magazines, not just one. And, and there's a reason for that. It's like she said, I'm not that old. It's, it's because my wife loves to coupon, and there was some couponing deal that if you signed up for AARP, you got a coupon. So she did it four times for everyone in the house. So everyone, I mean, you, you, you have kids going to middle school, and they're card-carrying members of AARP. 
I'm going to eighth grade and I have my AARP membership. <laughs> but we got whatever coupon it was. And so, so I get it. And, and every now and then I, I get a chuckle when I get it. So I'm, I'm thumbing through it because I don't really have a whole lot of other things in the house than the AARP magazine at this point. And, and I'm thumbing through it and there's a section on Spotify and it's about songs to listen to while you're working out. And it, it listed correctly, the, the beats per minute for the song and said, well, these are really slow songs and, and these are really medium songs and here's a fast song and it'll help you get going if you need help getting, getting uh, invigorated to work out. And as some of you know, I, I run most mornings and I realized I don't listen to any of those fast songs. In fact, Brit, Brittany and I, we had a, a discussion about this. Uh, one time while we were working out, we were working out this winter because we'd signed up for this app called StepBet. And StepBet is this extremely mean smartphone app, and I mean mean in the literal sense mean, because it makes you put up a tangible f amount of money, and if you don't get your steps in every day, you don't get your money back. So it forces you to be healthy, and we needed that. And so we would get home sometimes and be like, wow, it is 8 o'clock and I need 5,000 steps today. You want to go walk around uh, Walmart or Target? Always pick Walmart or you will lose more than $40 at Target. <laughs> and so, so we would do that. And there's one time we were at our community center, which was really nice up there in North Richland Hills. And, and we're walking around this elevated track and it's really fancy. And, and I look over, and she'd forgotten her headphones. She'd left them at home. And I had both of my little earbuds in, and she said, well, give me one of yours. I want to listen to what you listen to while you work out. That didn't go very well. <laughs> it went poorly for me. Um, I gave her my earbud, and like, she was stumbling, and she was walking really slow. And, and it's because when I work out, I listen to these really sad songs or these instrumental songs. They're really slow, but they're really emotional. And that's for the simple fact that I lack the ability to understand rhythm. So it doesn't matter to me how many beats per minute are in a song, because unless there's a, literally a director waving in front of me, I can't feel the rhythm. It's also why if you look like this morning, you're clapping, and I'm like, wow, that's neat. Because I can't clap on the beat easily. And, and it's the same thing with a lot of the songs you'll see up here when I'm sitting off to the side, because I'm terrible with rhythm. But what I realized is in music, the emotional response motivates me. And so if you actually look on my smartphone app that tracks all my vital stats while I'm running, like my heart rate and my blood pressure and all that fun stuff my watch does. You'll notice my times get better if the song is sadder. Because for whatever reason, the emotions motivate me to move quicker. I don't know if I'm running away from them or running towards them, but they do. They do. And, and, and that's actually where the, the genesis of this sermon series came from, is music does something to us. It allows us a window into our soul we sometimes otherwise get because we lack the words. We lack the language. It transcends our human condition when our language isn't enough. And let me tell you, working with biblical texts, one of the most frustrating things is when we don't have an English word for whatever is in the Bible. 
which happens a whole lot more than people realize. And so we throw a bunch of English words against the wall, like, well, let's see which one of these sticks throughout history. We'll just use that. If you've ever wondered about biblical translation from the original language, it's a lot of work, and it's not always the easiest. But as we see in the psalmist's voice today, as he struggles with his yearning for worship, the pinnacle of the passage in verse 8, deep calls to deep, realizing there's something inside of him that calls out even beyond the frail expression of words to God. And for most of us, what that thing is, is music. That's why music drives most of our worship experiences. Because it allows our deep to call to God's deep. Music allows us to see our souls when they would otherwise be obscured. It also changes us. We respond to it sometimes unconsciously. I found a really great example of that on Reddit this week. Um, if they put that slide up, there was a Reddit post I was reading, and the, the guy asked on Ask Reddit, what song is guaranteed to make you go above the speed limit if played while driving? And I wonder, so, so congregation, what song would make you go above the speed limit? I mean, confessional is a part of the faith. Break stuff, Limp Biscuit. Break stuff, Limp Biscuit. <laughs> yes, that's how you get speeding tickets. Anything? Anything. Danger zone. What? Radar love. <laughs> I can't drive 55. <laughs> you guys, you guys got some really interesting musical tastes at this church. What, what other songs just make you? I, I've ridden with a few of you already, and there's some of you that don't know how to drive at the speed limit, regardless what's on the radio. So, so what songs make you? What songs just naturally? You're riding and the song comes on the radio, it comes on your playlist, it, it, it comes on the CD, it comes on the eight track in your classic car. <laughs> what song? Taking it to the street by the Doobie Brothers. I've not, I've not heard that song in a while. I was about to say, I'm glad you said old school, not me. What? Sabotage by the, I, I wondered, so that's the one, one of the bands that hasn't showed up yet in this whole sermon series, Beastie Boys, wow. Sabotage by the Beastie Boys. There was a song when I was growing up, it, it actually predated me by almost a decade, but a song uh, by a band called E6 called the Open Road Song. It was not one of their fav, famous songs. And it's literally a song about how he is pushing his piece of junk car to 80 miles an hour. Which, when I was a teenager, I was like, that is so fast. That is so fast. He's going 80 miles an hour. I see a few of you laughing already, because you're like, man, have you driven on the highway? <laughs> yeah, you do 80, you get run over. It's like, wow, those are rookie numbers. <laughs> Let's get those up a little bit. You know, it's like, if you're driving 80 now, you see, you see the really broken down old Honda Civic pass you on the left side. And you think to yourself, wow, I didn't realize civics could go that fast. <laughs> Weird. I thought they... Wild. What? Born to be wild. Born to be wild. A good one. You know, one of the ones, you know, there are songs that do that. And then there are songs that are just really good road songs. We're going to have a week at the end of the sermon series where we talk about road songs. 
in general, but there's one that was lifted up already. It's submitted a couple times, actually, in the, the lead-up of the sermon series, American Pie. There's something about just driving, it's for me in my memory, driving through Tennessee, and there's a big expanse of nothing between Memphis and Nashville. I'm going to drive between Texas and, and Lexington. And there's a big expanse of nothing between Memphis and Nashville. Like, there's nothing. It's, but there are more trees and hills and, and scenery than West Texas, but there's not a lot of stuff. And I would listen to that song, and it's something uniquely, culturally special in, in my memory. It just felt right. Another way that music touches us. You can't really put it into words how it felt, but it felt right, driving through the heart of the nation, listening to American Pie. My friends from overseas would look at me right now and be like, you are insane. But there really is. Our music speaks to us emotionally. It speaks to us culturally. It influences our behaviors and our actions. We automatically, as psychologists would say, we automatically respond to it, whether we know it or not, many times. We automatically respond to it because, as the psalmist says, our deep calls to deep. And when our language fails, that music transcends it. It moves past the limitations of our spoken or written word at times. It lets us express and opens windows the heart when we otherwise could not. That's why the psalmist writes this. As we approach Psalm uh, 42, Psalm 42 and 43 are actually seen by scholars as one single psalm. And then back in the day when we were chopping up the Bible to add reference points to it, chapters and verses, they, for whatever reason, decided to break it up. They didn't really have a good reason if you've ever noticed the Bible and studied intently when they break up some things. But Psalm 42 and 43 are really one big poem, and they have three stanzas, and we're in the middle of the second stanza this morning. And it really is about a, a worshiper lamenting their farness from God, and specifically their farness from worshiping in the temple. They're in exile, they're in Babylon, they, they are yearning for worship, and specifically temple worship. And they're running out of words to describe that. They begin at the beginning, and they're running, and they're going, and, 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 and they're becoming so emotionally invested in their thought of how they worship God and what they're longing to do in worship that they finally get to the verse that's the highlight of this sermon series, verse 8, and they say, my deep calls to deep, which is layered with meaning, not just in the literal translation, but also the cultural aspects of what was going on in Judaism at the time. And the imagery of deep waters that had led up to this, even though they live in a desert. The author is literally struggling to put in words his yearning for God and express his heart. And that's what leads him to that point of saying deep calls to deep. He's at the end of his literary rope. And yet something in him, deep within his soul, cries out to God. And that's the powerful thing of God. 
is that when that depth cries out, God's deep responds. See, songs can be that expression or that window into the heart that allows us to see things about ourselves we wouldn't otherwise see, but it also allows us the other direction, going towards others and towards God, to express things we otherwise wouldn't know how to express. It was a cold December day in 1993, as I crawled into the back of my mom's Chevrolet Corsica, props to the few of you who remember what those family sedans were, and it was black and it had red trim, is the pinnacle of late 80s, early 90s. I thought it was super fancy. And we were going somewhere, I don't remember where, but I remember the song that came on the radio. It was a early 90s pop classic called Mr. Jones by the Counting Crows. And it has one of the catchiest beats. Born to be wild, Jim Carroll. <laughs> Sorry, I just saw that, Jim. It has one of the catchiest beats ever. And one of the catchiest chorus lines from the 90s. And it became instantly my favorite song. And as my family will say, with a groan, rolling their eyes, I swear I can see my teenage daughter's soul when she rolls them that far back, they will say, it's still my favorite song. And it was an expression of the author as, as he's trying to put into words his desire to be famous. He wrote it before they became famous. And ironically, it's the song that made them famous. And then his one of his mentors, Kurt Cobain, took his own life because he struggled under the pressure of the fame of being a famous musician. And it really affected the author of the song, so he wouldn't play it for a long time. And then when he did play it, he changed it to an acoustic, somber tone. This upbeat pop song, recast as something somber and mild. Reflective, because it reflected on the reality of the weight of what they did in their field, the weight of that fame for him, and that everyone wants to be famous, but is that really a good thing? He was able to express something in that song that 10-year-old me didn't really grasp at the time, but looking back 30 years later, I get it. There was some deeper emotional level almost spiritual for him. And we see that in the songs that you all submitted. You know, we, we, we've been all over the place and everyone's been chatting this morning about, oh, what song here? What song here? What song here? And, you know, I, I lead with my own as a transition from the last sermon series to this one. But there are some that are powerful like that. And they're not just secular. You know, Come Thou Fount was submitted three times. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for everyone who submitted that. That is my favorite hymn. When I got married, I made everyone stop in the middle of the service to sing that hymn. My wedding party was not thrilled. And it is my favorite hymn, and it tells the story of a gentleman who, who came out of the early Methodist revival in England, became one of the lay preachers, and it was at, towards the end of that as the Baptist revival about a generation later kicked off, switched over, and then he's riding in the carriage with someone. 
And he wrote Come Thou Found at the very beginning of his conversion experience as a lay pastor in the Methodist circuit in England. And then a, a newspaper writer catches that carriage with him years, years later as he's transitioned to a different uh, tradition. And he's been through a hard life of ministry. And he talks about the, the value of that song, but he also says, if I could have just an ounce of the fire and passion and joy and love I had when I wrote that song. But yet, the song perfectly explains that emotion as he notes, prone to wander, so I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, now take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. These songs transcend our own meager and frail ability to express to God our love and desire wrapped in our our broken humanity. You know, you could take a modern song similar to that. I can't believe there's two or three submissions that were nothing but submissions of songs that are made famous by TikTok. And I'm wondering what young people did that. But one of them, Chronically Cautious by Brandon Bales, talks in a similar sense about a person struggling with the use of media and their own fickle nature to waver between what they want and what they love. Almost in a modern-day sense, similar to Come Thou Fount. He's so prone to wander and leave... And yet, he wants to come back to the thing he loves the most. You know, you can see that not only in, in the TikTok selections, but you can see that in all the country. We had a strong selection of country songs. You can hear that in Blake Shelton's God Gave Me You as he looks and is struggling to express love and desire to the woman of his affection and continues to come back. But God gave me you. I don't know, I've pastored a lot of churches where there are more cows than people in town. And, and we have this cultural image that the, the ranchers are stoic and emotionless. But let me tell you, when you get them going, there's a well of emotion. And maybe they don't have the words to express it. But they're as much like the psalmist we talk about today. And their depth cries out. I know I made fun of a few weeks ago the fact that every country song is about losing your dog, your truck, or your woman in some order. But there's a reason for that because they have a depth of an emotional expression and that's how it comes out. That's how it's expressed. That's how their deep calls to deep. We see that not just them, but maybe in a more modern sense with Lauren Daigle and You Say... as she struggles with imagery and how people see her and define her, but how really God defines her. And in a way, that's just a a newer version or a newer take of amazing grace. If you really think about it and look at the words, someone struggling with imagery and God's grace and what it means that the world does this, but I'm claimed by God just like someone else was claimed by God this morning. See, these songs allow us to express 
to the world and to God things that are nested within our hearts and our souls. They open up those windows to our hearts and allow the things within to be seen. And they give voice to the things that oftentimes are voiceless in our souls. And they rally us when we think of God to combine our voice with the ones beside us and in front of us and behind us to sing praises to the one. Sometimes even when we don't feel like it, sometimes even in face of the struggles of this world, the old African-American spiritual, I'll fly away. What a great example of that. I'll fly away. Maybe swing low, sweet chariot. These things, these songs help us to do that in so many ways. Not just on the positive things, not just on the the things where we praise and we worship, not just on the people that we love, but also they help us to express the deep pain and sorrow that we feel at times when we lack the words, when we have nothing else to say because the weight and burden of this life becomes too much. You know the point. The empty and hollow look in a person's eyes when life and its grief has overtaken their soul. In the most nerdy example I can think of, I think of the saddest song I know, which is a video game song. I feel my children rolling their eyes again from 300 miles away. And there's a, a video game song, me and my roommate in college, we were playing a game, a Final Fantasy game. I, I told you I'm super nerdy. And this song is an instrumental song written and performed by an orchestra. And I was 22, my roommate was 23, and we are two not super emotional guys, and we are sobbing on our couch in our little apartment as we play this game, and because this music came on, and the music was so emotionally saddening that it moved us, two guys in our early 20s, to tears. And it still is one of the saddest songs I've ever heard because it captures without words, mind you, what it means for me to want something so very bad and yet lose it. And I want to close with that illustration because when I read Psalm 42 and I get to verse 8 and I hear from the beginning from verse 1 all the way to verse 8, the author write about his yearning for worship at the temple. This is the song that plays in my head silently. Not real, but silently. I go over the movements of that music, the bass and the strings coming in, then the brass, and then the lead flute. And by the time I get to verse 8, I can't help but tear up a little bit. Because I understand. Not with the words, not because someone somewhere in Babylon on the banks of the river wrote this down thousands of years ago. I understand because there's something in my heart when paired with that music that speaks to me. And I can't put it 
quite into words, but I can tell you this, that my deep calls out to God at that moment, and God's deep responds. My soul yearns for his soul, and he responds. This is what music can do. And this is what I want to invite you all to do this week. We all have that song that lets us see God. I want you to go home this week and listen to it. And let your deep call to God's deep. And let God answer. Now it's no big charge to go save the world this week. It's no big charge to bring all of the people in. I mean, that'd be great. I'm not going to stop you if you do that. No, this is more self-reflective. It's the weak part of the church now. That we don't often face because we don't want to. I want you to go home and let your deep Call out to God's deep with that one song, whatever it is for you. And just sit in the presence of your God and let God speak to you even without words once more that you, like the psalmist today, yearning and striving for the Father, might hear that voice of love once more. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.